Oh, yeah. And we're back, Brooklyn, with another all-new episode of Brooklyn Paper Radio. This is co-host Anthony Rotuno along with my pal and co-host Johnny Cunin. How you doing? I'm doing, Johnny. How are you doing? I'm doing. Forgive the voice crack earlier with the, oh, yeah. Yeah. What's going on there? I don't know. Need to get you Seasonal some honey. Seasonal allergies, man. They're coming. Coat that throat. They um, are coming. Johnny and I are joining our listeners from our studio in America's downtown for a new show we also have a special guest in studio who will come on later today to take part in the whole show, actually, both to promote his new book, um, Ask a Native New Yorker, and to join in our first segment, which will be a discussion on congestion pricing. That is Gothamist co-founder Jake Dobkin. He's joining us live in the studio. What's up? Jake, good to have you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, it's been a while since we've had a live guest, so Johnny and I cleaned up. You can't see us, but we brushed our teeth, we combed our hair, and we're wearing clean clothes today. So it's a very exciting day in studio. But before we get to Jake and his book and our guest on the phone to discuss this looming congestion pricing plan that may or may not pass by April 1st, I think we have a word from our oh, sponsors. You know what? Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, Brookdale University Hospital and Medical Center. Absolutely. As we've told you week after week, it's no longer Heart Health Month, but it is Women's History Month, and heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States. And at Brookdale, they will help you check your vital organ before anything bad happens to it. So remember to get your heart checked and remember to do it at Brookdale. That's right. Make your appointment today, brookdalehospital.org or call them 718-240-5600 and tell them Brooklyn Paper Radio sent you. Yeah, if you've heard it from us, let them know. They'll be glad to know you're listening and that you're coming from our show. You get bumped up in the line too. I don't know That's about what that. I, hear. I don't know about that, but anytime you say you have chest pain, you're thankfully first our in hearts line. are still ticking. Yeah. Um so thank you to Brookdale, and without further ado, we're going to move on to the first segment of the show, which is to discuss this looming proposal it has been kicking around for a few years um, to implement congestion pricing, which would take effect in Manhattan, but stands to affect the daily commutes of Brooklynites who drive into and out of what they're calling the central business district on the faraway island of Manhattan from roughly 60th, 61st Street down to the southern tip of the borough where, you know, for several hours a day, our expert will fill us in on when, they will be charging commuters who come across key entry points, all of the, you know, the Williamsburg Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, coming into the borough, they will be charged a toll, the proceeds of which allegedly will go in a lockbox to fix our crumbling transit system. I know our organization, Brooklyn Paper, your beloved newspaper, has covered the issue a little bit. And I'm sure, Jake, you guys over at Gothamist have your own, you know, you're more of a citywide group. So I'm sure you've been tackling this from different perspectives. Before we get our guest on the phone, any initial thoughts? Uh, I think we're in favor of it because we are aware in our coverage every day just how disastrous the uh, crumbling of our infrastructure, our subways is. Yeah. And, you know, for that reason, we know that we need uh, a new funding source. And it seems like this is basically the whole ballgame, right? I mean, like, we've raised some money by, like, taxing billionaires' pedotaires, but right. but it seems like this is a much more stable and uh, significant funding source. A little more comprehensive, yeah. And also, you know, the, um, the bonus that you get with it is advocates you know say it's very em- environmentally friendly because it will reduce cars on the road um but to talk more about it and to fill you guys in on the the numbers and this and the the real parameters of it we're going to get Kate Slevin who is among a coalition she leads a group among a coalition of organizations called Fix Our Transit NYC and Kate and her group are advocating up in Albany to pass this congestion pricing proposal, which right now is written into Governor Cuomo's budget, his executive budget, which is a document the governor prepares every year, um, every spring. It includes how he wants money to be spent over the next fiscal year and other th- proposals and, and legislation that he might want to pass around the same time. And it has to be signed off on by April 1st. So... 
if Albany legislators can work it out, this congestion pricing proposal can pass as soon as a few weeks Hello? from now. Kate Slevin, is that you? That's me. Hi, how are you? Hey, Kate. Well, thanks. This is Tony Rotano calling from Brooklyn Paper Radio. I am on the line with my co-host, Johnny Kunin, and hey. a special guest today in studio, um, the co-founder of Gothamist, Jake Dobkin, is on with us today as well. And first of all, we want to thank you for joining us and apologize for running a bit behind today. We had a surprise episode of our sister Power Women podcast recorded before this, so we had to hold off on starting our show. But we're thrilled to have you while we have you. And without further ado, I'm going to turn the mic over to you, as it were, because we we told our listeners a little bit about the urgency with which congestion pricing may pass. It could be two weeks. But we'd love for you to kind of fill them in on the parameters of what the proposal is as written in the budget and what stands to be enacted should it go through. Sure. Um, so there is no definite proposal right now that's been decided upon. There's just a bunch of um, uh, proposals from the governor, the Senate and the Assembly. And we've had various other uh, uh plans that have been presented in the past. So just to be clear with anyone listening, nothing is finalized at this point. Um, it will be finalized in the New York State budget, if it is, um, the parameters of what a congestion pricing plan could be. Right now, the governor's proposal um, says that the plan would raise uh, a billion or so a year to fund improvements uh, in, to, mass, to public transportation. The money would get, go into the MTA's capital program and that funds the subways, the buses, along with improvements on Long Island Railroad, Metro North, um, and the, the road and bridge system in, in, uh, that's owned by the MTA. So that's the, the, the fundamental um, uh, purpose of the plan, is to fund public transportation and to reduce congestion in Manhattan, especially, where uh, congestion has become an increasingly uh, larger problem. So the Senate and the Assembly have both indicated their willingness in their one-house budget proposals to support congestion pricing, although they have not put any specific um, uh, parameters in there yet in terms of, you know, a final plan. Uh, it's just a little bit of language about some things they'd like to see, such as investments in uh, outer borough uh, areas that need more public transportation and um, and a, a willingness to be more engaged in the in the conversation. And then the cordon, um, the cordon that would be told would be the area south of 60th Street. Right. Um, the FDR would not be included. So if you came over the bridges from Brooklyn and went up the FDR, you would not pay. If you pay uh, uh, one of, at one of the MTA's existing crossings or at the Holland or Lincoln Tunnel, you would get a toll credit. So you wouldn't pay twice. Um, and there would be a cap on the number. You would only pay once overall in the day. So if you're a business going back and forth between Manhattan and Brooklyn and you go into the, the cordon uh, zone, you would only pay pay once per day. Got it. So a couple of quick sort of logistical things after you so succinctly laid out the parameters of where we are right now. Um, number one, can you quickly just give a rundown of the corridors of the connectors, you know, the bridges and or tunnels that stand to be told should this pass coming in from Brooklyn to Manhattan? It would be Williamsburg, Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge. Well, you actually wouldn't have the tolls under the current proposal on the bridges. Got it. Um, the fees would be levied when you drove into uh, Manhattan, south of 60th Street, or it's actually south of 61st Street in the in the governor's proposal. Um, and so if you you come over the Brooklyn Bridge, say, you wouldn't pay. If you went on to the FDR, you wouldn't pay. But if you entered the cordon zone, um, you know, on the other side of the FDR and the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge, you, that's when the fee would be levied. Got it. So it's not on any approach to the infrastructure. It's when you're fully in the zone on a local street. Correct. So it's different than, than previous proposals, which have told the bridges. Right, right. And in terms of, you know, in terms of percentage of drivers impacted from 
at least from Brooklyn, how many, what, what is your, what does Fix Our Transit have percentage wise in terms of the number of people who stand to be affected by these tolls if they are in fact approved? Well, uh, right now the statistics say that only 1.3% of Brooklynites commute by car into the zone that would be uh, the congestion pricing zone. Um, many, many, many more uh, commute into the zone via public transportation. So it's actually a very small percentage of, uh, of Brooklyn uh, folks who would actually pay the toll. And obviously, if they are driving, they would see benefits in terms of traffic reduction. Um, many more people ride the subways and buses. They commute um, into Manhattan via that means. And then a lot of people actually don't even work in Manhattan south of 60th Street. They work in Brooklyn. They work in Queens. They commute out to Long Island. Um, And the idea is that everyone would benefit from better public transportation, whether you're in a car, um, on a bus, on a bike, walking, lower traffic, uh, less traffic, and better public transportation is generally better for everyone, including all of our health as well. Um, other cities that implemented congestion pricing have seen a very uh, substantial health benefits. In London, it resulted in a, a 50% decline in asthma rates. Um, actually, that statistic is from Stockholm, sorry. In Stockholm, it uh, resulted in a 50% reduction uh, in asthma rates, and we're hoping we see similar benefits here. Now, the budgets, as they're written, you know, the Senate's, the assemblies and the governors, they all include like language sort of supporting action on this issue. But like you said, there's no there's uh, it's there there's not a real framework for how to construct, you know, this plan written in the budgets. So should should a budget pass with, you know, the authorization for congestion pricing? What sort of timeline should commuters expect as far as a rollout? Yeah, well, the the MTA said it would take a couple years to plan the system to figure out where the infrastructure would go, what the rates would be. Um, And so you're looking at a couple years until any of of this would actually take effect on the streets of New York. Um, In other cities, they've boosted public transportation service prior to implementation of congestion pricing. In London, they added 300 uh, new buses before uh, uh, the the congestion pricing system was turned on. And so the MTA has already started um, in an effort to improve the bus network in New York City. Um, And so they're proceeding borough by borough, and uh, they're already working on things like trying to purchase um, uh, cleaner vehicles on the bus system. So I think you'll see a combination of planning in terms of, you know, where the, the fees would be levied, what kind of infrastructure, what kind of technology you would need for them, um, a discussion about rates, and uh, also a, a couple-year effort to get the surface transportation network, especially the bus system, into a better state so it can accommodate um, more people and it's more reliable for folks. My other question, and then I, I'm, I'll open it up because I'm hogging the mic, Um you know, you said it stands to raise about a billion dollars a year in revenue for the transit system once it's up and running. You know, meanwhile, Andy Byford, the head of New York City Transit, um, you know, the MTA's local arm, is pushing this fast forward plan, you know, to revitalize the subway system that I believe, you know, comes with a price tag of like $40 billion. Um, and obviously that plan is not fully funded so even a billion dollars a year seems like a lot of money. But when you're looking at a $40 billion plan, you know, is congestion pricing even enough at this point to fix the transit system? Well, well, to be clear, that one million or one and a half, uh, that one billion or one and a half billion would be bonded. So it would be more like 15 billion um, coming into okay, the transit got it. system. So, so, so um, then it accrues much that, faster. But your question is still relevant. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, no, it's it, it, congestion pricing um, is we see it as a cornerstone of a comprehensive funding package. So it's it raises more money than any of the other proposals out there. But, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about other options that could supplement it and provide the funding we need to implement the fast forward plan that Andy Byford has put out there. 
and really get a modern um, transit system here in New York City. My question is, like, who's opposed to congestion pricing? And, like, what are you doing to, you know, assuage their uh, complaints or objections? Uh, um, well, the, the, a lot of the opposition at this point is coming um, from the outer boroughs, though the majority of New Yorkers, New York State residents and New York City residents do support congestion pricing um, if the money goes to improve public transportation. Um, but there's still some concerns, you know, from the outer boroughs, especially folks who don't feel like they have great public transportation in their neighborhoods and they don't understand, um, you know, the, the benefits it would bring. So that's why there's been a lot of discussion about how you boost, um, especially bus service and other things in, in areas a little bit farther from Manhattan, because it's been too long that they haven't seen the, the investments, um, you know, that, that they've, they've wanted. Um, in terms of better public transit. Um, so that's the, largely the opposition has come from outer borough folks um, or the better borough uh, <laughs> folks in Brooklyn and Queens, um, a, a little bit farther from Manhattan. But I think at this point, the transit crisis is so real and in, in everyone's face um, and in so many people's daily lives that a lot of the people who were traditionally opposed to this have sort of said, okay, I know something needs to happen. If it has to be congestion pricing, then, you know, here's some, I would just want more investment in my district um, to come as a result of that. So, you know, this is something that's been advocated for, for several years now. Um, obviously you guys, you know, are hoping for the best. And in two weeks from now that, you know, Governor Cuomo's signature will appear on a document that authorizes you know a, moving forward with this what does the plan look like if it does not pass in the budget well i think we none of us really think that we will get it outside the budget this legislative session i think you'd be in a, 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 a terrible shape in terms of the the transit systems feature and the, the future of new york city I and mean, we are a transit city here Everyone relies on transit um, uh, or knows someone who relies on transit. The majority of households in New York City don't even own cars. Um, and so we absolutely need our public transportation system to be better, more reliable. Um, and we're not going to see those improvements if we don't get new revenue into, um, into it. So if you don't see congestion pricing passed, I think we're all going to be very, very worried about economic and population growth in New York City. And just our city as a whole and our um, our ability to, to do basic things. Um, so I think we're, we're worried about that that scenario. Um, but hopefully it will pass. I mean, you know, there's growing support for this right now. The mayor has even indicated his support, and he's been a skeptic for many years. Um, so we're really hoping this is the cornerstone of, of, of a funding package that's comprehensive, that gets New York City Transit the money they need, to fix the, sub, the, the, the signal system on the subways, to build more elevators, um, to modernize the bus fleet, make it cleaner, um, more reliable, all these things that, that New Yorkers would really like to see um, on the streets and underground. Well, Kate, um, thank you for joining the show. I know um, we don't have you for much longer, so before we let you go, uh, I'm just going to open it up. You, you know, you shared a lot in that last answer, but if there's anything else you feel needs to be said from your perspective on the congestion pricing issue, you've got the floor or the airwaves, as it were. Um, and yeah, let our listeners know. Otherwise, um, you know, we'll certainly keep covering the issue as the budget deadline approaches. Yeah, I mean, I would just uh, just sort of think, you know, about the the New York City without a functioning transit system as our population and as our economy has, has grown, all of that's going to level off. And the more people having more jobs, generating more income and more revenue here is a good thing because it allows us to pay for things like um, schools, like garbage collection, um, you know, police force to allow uh, uh, crime rates to, to be, um, to be his, at historic lows. So all of that stuff that we need in the day-to-day -day in our city is um, paid for by the, re the, the, the economic um, benefits that come in from having an economy that's strong. And 
our economy will not be strong if we do not have a reliable public transportation system. We're already starting to see a level off of growth that has been um, pretty substantial in, in previous years. And I think a lot of folks are worried about the future of New York if we don't solve this fundamental challenge. Um, if you've been to other cities, you see their subway system works better. Their buses are more reliable. Um, their streets are safer because they're not clogged with cars um, and they have better bike networks. And we can see those things in New York. I think it's just we need to be a little bit more open to some of these new ideas and also be you know, able to have a public conversation that some of these things are difficult. It's going to be difficult for, for folks to agree to pay new fees. Of course, this thing is going to be controversial. But really looking in the long term of the city, we need a public transportation system that works for all these reasons. Um, and we cannot get that if we don't have new revenue coming into it. Well, Kate, thank you. And again, sorry, I always do this and then I have one more question. Um, I know yeah. they haven't been set, but what would those fees be? Well, they haven't been set yet. Right. Um, a lot of the prior proposals have uh, put them at a rate similar to what the toll crossings are. Um, so the Battery Tunnel, um, Midtown Tunnel, um, uh, Triborough Bridge. Uh, there, The toll rates, I think, just went up, so they'll be a little bit over uh, uh, $6 on those crossings each uh -huh. way. Uh -huh. And so I think if you're you know, looking from a policy perspective, it would make sense to have any new fees uh, we're going to be put in place on the cordon to be similar to that, um, and then you don't you you don't have a, a situation in which people are going out of their way um, to go to the the discounted uh, route, right? Um, right. So I think a lot of folks who've been working on this for a while think that the rate around you know around that range around six dollars each way would make a lot of sense. But that will be left up to um, the couple years of debate and dialogue that will happen after congestion pricing is, is approved, and hopefully it will be. Got it. Um, Kate, thank you again for joining us. That's Kate Slevin with um, Fix Our Transit. A round of applause. Who are advocating for the passage of congestion pricing in this year's uh, state budget, which is you know, Governor Cuomo and the legislature have to come to terms on by April 1st. So that yep. we'll get moving on that issue very soon. Um, Kate, yep. thank you so much for joining us and for um, explaining, you know, what's at stake and what, you know, your organization hopes to achieve by passing the budget with congestion pricing in it. Great. Thank you. And if I could just make one um, clarification, I, my day job is Regional Plan Association, and we are one of the over 100 organizations that's part of Fix Our Transit. Got it. Um, so there's many more people uh, than just one organization behind this. Um, and the Fix Our Transit is the, the coalition group's name. That's the organization of more than 100 groups that are advocating in favor of congestion pricing. So clearly it has a lot of backers. It really does. But that 1.3% of Brooklynites who do not want it are a strong voice of opposition so we'll see how it plays out okay, um thanks very much thanks kate all right so johnny what do you think you drive don't you i do drive yeah i have mixed feelings i like it but you know i was wondering the same thing i was wondering if it was a case of when hosts aren't listening if she had already said how much the toll was i was thinking you know four dollars in that in that range yeah. to go down third avenue you know i could add that to my but you think fix the a little more than six is too much you know, that could be $12 a day, man, you know, but I, I drive for business, so it would be okay with me if it means fixing the subway, you know, because I take the subway for, for pleasure, you know, well, like the rest of us. You're, you're driving into Manhattan for your business? I, I drive occasionally, yeah, you know, um, I do. Um, so, you know, we, and we go down those streets, you know, um, my business is landscaping and uh, my company's Native NY Garden, so I saw your book. Uh, with native on the on the cover, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. I uh, I, I think you know. Listen, whatever it takes. To, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going to do that more often. Whatever it takes to uh, get the subway fixed is fine with me. You're uh, you're you're on board if it means a faster subway ride. Jake, what about you? You're a native Brooklynite, yes. Yeah. I'm and do you drive? I don't. I mean, I know how to drive. <laughs> like I, I got my license when I was 23. I oh only, whoa! I only failed twice. Hey. Yeah. If you ever need Same to, with me, by the way. If you ever need to pass a road test, take it in Sheepshead Bay. No there way. Is that the is that the hack? Yeah, that's the hack. 
Uh, but no, like uh, 65% of New Yorkers, I do not own a car. I've never owned a car. Oh, wow. I'm 42. So, yeah, I say toll the hell out of these crossings, you know, I, and yeah, I make, mean, make my F train work better. Well, right. I do not own a car. And quite frankly, at this point, I see that as a luxury, you know, and I think you certainly shouldn't need one to live in New York. There are communities in Brooklyn where, but as Kate pointed out, there are those communities like where you passed your driver's test that do require cars more and aren't as served by public transportation. But, you know, if what they mean when they say they will invest in new resources there, then I don't see how it's a bad plan. Totally. And you can, you know, if like older people, for instance, need to use their cars to get to their doctor's appointments, you can have carve outs for, you know, let's say senior citizens, the same way we give discounts on Metro cars to senior citizens. Totally. There's all sorts of ways that we can accommodate, you know, the small groups of people that actually do need their cars. But for the vast majority of us, we need a subway system that works. I would agree. Well, let me just jump in here and say that this riveting conversation and the riveting conversation to follow is all brought to you by Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center, which is the leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn, including Interfaith and Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center. Tony, it's no longer Heart Health Month. No, it's not February, but it is March. And it doesn't really matter what time it is because you always need a healthy heart. So Brookdale and the doctors, the very professional qualified doctors there, will ensure your beating at your best like if you it. go in and get your heart checked. Yeah, it's, uh, it's March. March down to... Brookdale University Hospital. Give them a call, 718-240-5600, or visit them online, brookdalehospital.org. Love your heart. Know your risks. Get your heart checked out today. Tony, what's next on the broadcast? Well, so since we brought Jake in here for that riveting first part of the show, we figured it would only be appropriate to let him stick around. As you know, he just told us all he's a native Brooklynite, and he just came out with a new book, Ask a Native New Yorker, Hard-Earned Advice on Surviving and Thriving in the Big City. Lord knows I need some. Johnny looks like he could use some. And so much. Our beloved Brooklyn Paper intern producer, Natalie Rocha, is joining the show. She's already started reading the book. So I might turn it over to her after we let Jake fill us a little bit more in on, you know, when he got the call to write this book, you know, was... Was he, were you receiving so many questions that you figured you should just put it into a book form or how did it come about? Well, you know, I started this website Gothamist like 16 years ago. And of course, we have a lot of young people working there, right? So over the years, I see all these young people move to New York, you know, to pursue their dreams of media, yeah. journalism. And like a significant portion of them, like after a year or two, would just like crap out and like go, you know, running back to Peoria or Pittsburgh, wherever they were from. And I felt bad about it, you know, because clearly they weren't getting. You they know, did those dreams maybe weren't as. They just, I mean, they didn't know how to hack this place. It's yeah, a, it's a very complex, confusing. They didn't city. know to go to Sheep's Head Bay to take their yeah. road test. And so I started thinking, you know, because I'd always like run into these interns by the water cooler or the toaster, and I'd be giving them like this unsolicited Brooklyn advice, you know, because like us natives, like we can't shut the hell up. Not like, for nothing, but you say what you feel. Yeah, exactly. So like I would share it with them, and then like occasionally the editors would overhear, and they'd be like, "You should really, you know, write this down in a blog post so we could get some internet traffic on it." And then one thing led to another, yada, yada, yada. Is and that how it started? Yeah, they asked me to start writing the, the column. And I, I ended up writing like 150 columns like on like all sorts of aspects of life in New York, everything from like birth to death. And uh, at some point, you know, people were like, you should really turn this into a book for the edification of newcomers. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I'll do that. And the time clearly has come. Yeah. So like it's it's out this week. And uh, I think it's it's a it's a useful book. Not I mean, not just like for people who just like got off the bus yesterday, but like us longtime New Yorkers love to argue about all of this stuff. And so oh, I it, bet. It, so it's fun. You know, like my parents, you know, who are native New Yorkers from the Bronx, like on every topic in the book, like they got like a slightly different opinion than me, you know, a native <laughs> New Yorker who grew up in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, they, I mean, they're, they, they're enjoying reading it or, or so they said. I mean, it's, it's possible. It's just that, you know, my parents are. <laughs> well, I'd like to take them at their word that they're enjoying it, not just because their son created a wonderful piece of literature, but 
because it's actually helpful. Natalie, you started reading it. Yes, I did. And, and I, I can you... confirm it's been helpful. Cause... Yeah, because you're not a native New Yorker. No, I'm exactly that young media person he was just describing. I'm an intern at the paper, as you know. So I've been here since January. Came from San Diego, California in the winter. Wow. New York winter. That's a tough transition. Yeah. People always ask me, like, why did you do that? I said, you know, I don't know. And then, <laughs> you know, the conversation goes on. But, um, but I have to say, no, the book has been really enjoyable and really helpful, actually. Um, cause you kind of frame it in the same way as like, you know, you did for the blog posts, um, or I mean for your column in like questions and kind of answer format. And it's really entertaining. Um, I think that what was really helpful and everybody asks, you know, since it's the title of the book is what makes a native New Yorker and you address that in the first introduction. Yeah. I get that question all the time. It's funny cause it doesn't seem like very confusing to me, right? right. Like, obviously you have to be born in the five boroughs. Okay. Number two, you have to have stayed here, right? Like let's say never left for any long length of time because like if you're the kind of person who leaves New York, then like, are you really yeah. like a true native? And then, uh, see, uh, you have to die here. So like, you know, as long as you satisfy like all three of those things, you're, like you're totally native. I think so. Yeah. And I actually want to, I want to read a little excerpt because it literally made me laugh out loud when I was reading this the other day um, of that third one, because you wouldn't think of you have to die here. So the way you said it, you said, are you a native New Yorker? Not quite. There's one final thing you must do, and that's die here. But I aspire to expire here. And I say that goes for every true native in the city. So... You said that, you know, and you go on to explain more again what makes a native New Yorker. But I think Tony had a question earlier about what makes maybe a native Brooklynite or, you know, somebody specific to different boroughs. You know, it's like it's really interesting because all natives like get into this argument over like what neighborhood, what borough is like the truest, you know. And uh, like I obviously think, you know, Brooklyn and particularly Park Slope, right? The, Park Slope the, the, realest, the realest of all neighborhoods. But, you know, like it's. That's just like one perspective. And having argued this point with people from all over the city, all sorts of different neighborhoods, I've realized like there's really no way to win that argument, right? Because like, you know, you could say like, oh, I grew up in East New York. That was like a much more difficult, you know, place socioeconomically, for instance, to grow up. But that doesn't necessarily make it like more authentic, right? It's just a different different right. style of growing up in New York. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, like actually writing this book kind of made me start to doubt that like Brooklyn supremacy, you know, like like what if Queens is actually a better place to grow up? Heaven forbid. Yeah, no. I mean, I really start to get into my head. <laughs> well, I actually have another kind of follow up question to that, because um, so you you were raised in Park Slope, correct? And mm. you still live there now. It's true. I live in the same building as my parents. Really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I I. Is you it know, just your family or is it? Yeah, the, I grew up in, you know, a brownstone. Yeah. About five years ago, I, I bought the top half from my parents. And nice. I moved my, wow. my family. I have two, two young kids in and we live there. It's like a sitcom. Like everybody yes. loves Raymond, but like the Jewish, <laughs> much crazier version, you know? Where are the cameras? I always thought Raymond was Jewish, so... Really? I, 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 I thought he was Italian. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think he Romano is a... Yeah, you know, you're right. Oh, yeah. Very... You're right. Well, I guess the question, though, from there is... Does this advice change now? So you have young kids, and again, they're being raised as native New Yorkers now. Does that change? Because this advice is kind of, some of it has some, you know, words of choice in there, you know, and some, you know, more yeah. towards young people. Yeah, my, my son, who's like nine, was reading it, and he's like, Daddy, like, there are a lot of curse words in here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, there are, but that's just how, like, real New Yorkers talk. Mm -hmm. And then, like, obviously it took a, a lot of convincing for him not to, like, curse constantly from then on. Uh, you know, but honestly, my kids have grown up in a very different city. The city is much, much safer than it was when I was growing up. You know, now, like, East New York is, like, about as dangerous as the Upper East Side was when I was in high school. I mean, it's crazy how safe the city is. So, you know, I mean, it, they're going to experience a very different New York. And they're, you know, maybe the next generation, they can write their own book in, like, 15 years. That's, you touch on something that I was, I was thinking about is, you know, you started writing this as a column 16 years ago. Um as you said, the city's changed so much, not just in that time, but, you know, before and will change. How did you find the advice that you were giving people changed as the city? Ch like, was there a larger, you know, overarching trend in terms of the types of questions you were responding to as the city changed? Yeah, or I mean, like, 
I, th I think the two big trends are that the city has become much safer, so people are much less worried about, you know, getting robbed or stuck up or whatever. Right. But it's also become much more expensive, so they're worried right. about getting priced out and gentrification and can they afford their housing. And, you know, it's funny because it's like there's no way to win, right? Like, you know, if, right. you, if you survive the battle of days, you know, now, like, the city's gotten so nice that, you, like, you, you can't afford to live here anymore. Uh, so, yeah, they, the questions do change, but... You know, I mean, the attitude stays the same. So I, I try to approach, like, every question, you know, with, like, you know, how can you live, like, authentically? How can you, you know, have, like, real friendships, you know, find, like, a real rewarding job here, find, like, a housing that you can afford? And, you know, I mean, like, I bring that same New York honesty, no matter what the topic is. Well, coming from a background of being a native New Yorker yourself and being raised by two native New Yorkers, I'm curious, like... What advice would you have? And it could be in the book. Um, I haven't read it all. I don't think Natalie's gotten this far yet. If it is, what advice? Like, what advice do you have, or do you find yourself giving to other Native New Yorkers who are so jarred by the way the city has changed, and this, you know, who claim that, you know, I'm sure there are people in your neck of the woods in Park Slope who hate the direction things yeah. are moving in. I, I try How to, do you help those New Yorkers? Right. I don't I don't ever want to be one of those like really cranky old New Yorkers who are like, oh the city was so much better twenty years ago. Right. You know, like it's ridiculous. Like New York has always been like in flux and change. Like since like, you know, the uh, Dutch arrived and displaced the, you know, Native Americans or since the English arrived and displaced the Dutch, like each generation, the city completely changes. And you know, that's part of the energy of this place, you know, part of the excitement of it, you know, and like, I think the true New Yorker really embraces that, you know, I like you always hear about like old people who are going to like morning raves, right? right. You know, like surfing that wave of New York culture as like it changes. And like, that's how I want to be like always open to the next thing. I like that. Well, I think I have one more final question. Take for you it away. To kind of wrap that up because I think something so I was talking actually to one of my professors before I came here who is himself a native New Yorker and he also joked when I showed him the book he's like ah I could have written that he's like why <laughs> that's such a great idea why didn't I do that but um I asked if he had a question for you and one thing he said is you know the what keeps people here you know because I think and you touched that on that in your book you know some people leave or some people like if you're really a New Yorker you just have to live here like there's no other place to live and I was just curious like what you think that is maybe it's like I mean is it the city that make the people or is, do the people make the city? If that's like a, if that makes any sense. That yeah. Question. I mean, it's definitely the people who make the city. Like, I mean, the true New Yorker, of course, the, whether you're a native or not, like, you know, you're a real New Yorker because you could never leave, right? Like you simply could never, you know, live, you know, live happily, like reach your fullest, you know, best life anywhere else, you know? And like, of course, even like natives like me, you know, like I'll go to LA and for the first week I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is amazing, this weather. And then like week two, like I'm stuck in traffic on the 405 and I'm like, oh my God, this <laughs> is the worst back. city ever, you know? But the, the true, the native like always returns here. You know, this is simply, you know, the place that we cannot live without. I mean, I speaking as a non-native, I unfortunately didn't. I was not born here. Um, I have lived here for um, eleven years now, so That's pretty good, a decade. Yeah, and I intend to die here. <laughs> all things considered, hopefully later rather than sooner. Um, but I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think I'm I'm excited to read the book because I there's certainly things I'm learning new things every day, even as a you know, decade long person. And I'm sure you are even as a lifetime New Yorker, maybe totally. not as many, but no, I mean, there's, there's new stuff all the time. I mean, this, this week we opened up a huge new neighborhood called Hudson Yard. I know right on the, in like West Midtown. And that was just completely new to me. You know, it's, it's yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't like about that neighborhood is it's just, you know, it's a little further afield for us so you won't be reading about it or hearing about it on this show but other than that it's fascinating that you know in a city that's as old as new york that can happen you know over the course of what seems like no time even though it's been in the work for some time but like even like we're sitting here downtown brooklyn you know totally like when i was in high school i mean you could not walk down fulton street at night because like you <laughs> you just simply couldn't and now i mean it's like a it's a paradise down there you guys 
Well, I want to I want to give you an opportunity to bring out the cranky New York style. I mean, I, I'm a native New Yorker and native from Brooklyn, and I've seen over the last 15, 20 years downtown Brooklyn, like you said, uh, up here, Brooklyn Heights and and Fulton Mall change significantly. The mom and pop shops are gone. It seems like every other store is a real estate uh, whatever agency, <laughs> and uh, so doesn't that make you a little mad? Can I get a little anger here? Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, Park Slope, you've been walked down 7th Avenue now. I mean, it's, a lot. It's, Every esen- day, it it's essentially just like real estate agencies, like from one end to the other. And like, you know, when I was growing up, my block was a very diverse place. You know, old Italian, Irish families, you know, black families who had lived there for generations. And now, essentially, my family, which moved in in the 70s, is like one of the oldest families on the block. And, wow. And everyone else who buys a house is like working for a hedge fund. And of course, you know, that occasionally when I think about it, like makes me feel a little cranky. But, you know, on the other hand, like when I was growing up, we had one restaurant in Park Slope, you know, Pino's Pizzeria. Now you have like at least, you know, dozens More of restaurants. More than Pino's, yeah. Yeah, and like, so I'm, I'm enjoying that. I think, you know, being one of the things that I would venture to say defines, you know, a New Yorker is being able to take the change as it comes. Totally. And maybe, you know, see the merits in what are otherwise controversial. Well, I just wonder about, you know, the kids these days who are going to be growing. Their parents may be native New Yorkers, but their parents are from all over the place. And, you know, what is that? And they don't have that culture of community that, you know, we had growing up in Brooklyn. And, you know, I'm not blaming them for it. I'm just pointing it out. Where did you grow up, Johnny? I was in downtown Brooklyn. And so we had a bookstore that was, you know, you couldn't walk in it without stepping on a cat. And, you know, like just a lot of mom and pop stores that are gone. But people who you would say, hey, what's up? You know, whenever you walked by, people would recognize you. You cared about them. They cared about you. And that, in my opinion, is no longer the case. I think there's more, you know, just looking at everybody's, you know, looking at their phones, obviously, and, and there's no more kind of community stores like there had been. And so I just wonder, what is the future? I'm going to ask a native New Yorker, uh, look know, into your crystal ball, man. What is the future? I, the the natives, we, we're a very hardy species. You know, I don't know if it's because of like rent stabilization and like half of us are going <laughs> to die in our apartments because like we got a good deal. Hey. You know, but like there are a surprising number of like natives, longtime New Yorkers <laughs> who are still here and are going to be here till they die and like are going to continue keeping it real and keeping their neighborhoods real. And, you know, yeah, things are going to change and like it's not going to be the same as when we grew up. And, you know, you either have to accept that and be, you know, excited about the change or, you you know, you're going to be a very unhappy person because <laughs> the change ain't going to stop. Right. 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 The, and that, you know, eloquently put, it's not going to stop. Um whether it's here or Peoria or Pittsburgh or wherever, maybe it's changes slower there, but you know, change is, is a constant, um, especially in New York. And if you want to know how to survive here in 2019, you should pick up Ask a Native New Yorker by Jake Dobkin, co-founder of Gothamist. He knows what he's talking about. He's lived here his whole life and he's covered the five boroughs, including the better borough of Brooklyn for 16 years now. Yeah. More than that? That was only as long as the column is. I don't even know how. Yeah, I mean, Gotham is, you know, like what being a blogger for 16 years does to a person? I'm like 200. write a book. I'm 200 years old. Yeah, exactly. You look not a day older than 25. We can get a picture of young Jake up on the the site right now. Get you a round of applause, too. Um, Yeah, thank you, Jake. Uh, We will turn the mic to you for any last words about the book. And then, you know, as every native New Yorker knows, there is so much to do in right. Brooklyn and the rest of the city that um, they need sometimes a guide to how to do it. So we've got Bill Roundy in studio again to give our listeners a, On deck. a sneak peek of what to do and where to go in the coming days. But first, words from Jake on his book, Last Words Go. Uh you know, just stay true to New York. Never leave. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be some time in all your lives when you're tempted. Tempted because the city just like is ta- has taken it out of you. But... You know, reach deep and stay here because this is the best city on earth. All right. Well said. Jake, thank you for joining the show. Get your Can another, we get another round another of applause round for of him, applause. Johnny? I'm you well deserved. In the presence of such greatness, two native New Yorkers, I feel like a hack. No. But man, we'll continue with the show. 
At least, Bill Roundy, I don't think you're a native New Yorker. Wait, I got to play. You no, know no, I'm I got to play. Comer. I've only been here 16 years. <laughs> I got to play the Bill, the Bill uh, oh, sorry, entry, I jumped, entry song. I jumped ahead. He does have his entry song. <laughs> God, that music. City. I love it. That is 16 years after living here, Bill Roundy gets his own entry music. Um, Can't Bill, we all be so lucky, you know? Yeah, I, if only. Bill's looking a little green today. I assume it's from his St. Patrick's Day revelry wearing off. I don't know. Did you have a great St. Patrick's week? I had a very full weekend, I'm going to say awesome. that. Awesome. Yes, uh, it was not only St. Patrick's Day, it was also my birthday. Oh, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday to Bill Roundy. Thank you. I usually sing it in an, an opera tone when I get the opportunity, but I'm going to I just, think we'll let that go. Yeah, well, not, not today. You no, know, I had the, had the song, had the cake, all that on Saturday. And then Fantastic. visited two different breweries and a cocktail bar yesterday. So I'm doing doing just great. You're looking Taking chipper, all things considered. Everything that Brooklyn has to offer. What about this week, man? What are we doing this yeah, week? Yeah, what are we doing po- You know, to celebrate the rest of your week-long birthday celebration? It just well, started. Well, you know, after after the indulgence of the weekend, I think I may have to visit a doctor. <laughs> and uh, there's an event going on on Wednesday night. Um, it's a bicycle comedy event. Oh, yes. At uh, Haven Cycles up in Bushwick. Um, a couple of comedians who are also very avid cyclists hey. are doing a fundraiser uh, for medical debt relief. So, Oh, there you go. So you might get your bills paid for by these comedians, you know, after you patron their show. Your post-birthday binge bills, I should qualify. Right. All my, my, future, uh, my future bills... Um, you know, I would not, I would, bills. I would up until this point would have never said there's anything funny about medical debt, but no, it's just hilarious. Now, well, I feel apparently like these bicyclists, they know the dangers of, uh, riding in the streets and, you know, the occasional catastrophic incident. I would imagine some of the bikers would be a proponents of congestion pricing because it could help their commutes, um, you know, become a little less treacherous in that central business district in Manhattan if it passes. That's right. Yeah. So that's uh, stand-up at gonna Haven get... Cycles on like, Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Bikes with big wheels? Bikes with one wheel? Are they going to be bicycling while there's joke-telling? Or uh, No, it will be inside of a bicycle shop. Ah, okay. Stationary. They're on their two feet. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Uh, so you may be crowded up next to the bicycles. You ever seen the bike, one really big wheel on the front, oh, and a small wheel on the back? That's the a penny comedy farthing. all to itself. The penny is the penny farthing? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. All right. Something just made sense to me, but it doesn't matter on the air. Okay, what else is coming up this week? Well, someone else who could uh, possibly use some medical relief. There's a production of Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah, get that knife wound checked out. Yeah, uh, happening at uh, Theater for the New City, the Polonsky Shakespeare Center, which is uh, right downtown in uh, Fort, Fort Green. Green. Yeah, and what's what is this a traditional staging? Is there anything unique about this show? Uh, so it's going to be sort of a very sort of mythic, uh, almost mystical production. It's going to be done with uh, with all modern dress, but apparently Great Caesar's Ghost is going to show up several times. Spooky. Uh, and, you know, it starts off with there are all of these omens happening in Rome, and most productions just sort of gloss over that, but apparently we're going to get to see some of that happening in the background. Interesting. Now, uh, tickets uh, to the Polonsky Center, like, they are not always cheap. Right. Uh, but uh, they do have special programs for anyone who is 30 years or under, or if you're a student, you can get $20 tickets. And that's a one-off thing, or you have to enroll in a membership to get those reduced uh, tickets? No, you just have to have to uh, go to their website. And, and indicate that you are part of those Yeah, you groups. have to have a, a student ID or Great. something like that. Uh, otherwise, for uh, people uh, who are my age, it's going to be 90 to $100. Well... You know, good art ain't cheap, cheap art ain't good. I don't think that's a phrase, but it kind of works. Well, I do have a cheap show on Friday. Well, there you go. Uh, We've got the Nevermind Orchestra is playing over at Hank's Saloon. Oh, you love Hank's. Yeah, it's right nearby. The beers are cheap. What's the ne- how big is the Nevermind? Is it like a six piece? Is it like a ten uh, piece? Uh, I think it's it's a collective, so they uh, they vary in size. Oh wow, it's up to about a dozen members. Oh wow, it's and a brass band that plays all Nirvana cover songs. Very oh, nice. I like that. So you don't get that too often. Cost associated? That's a ten dollar cover to get in. Uh, and there's another brass band playing before, and I forget their names. Wow, that's a low price. I would say so. 
but if you want to indulge, Saturday, uh, it's the Coney Island Spring Gala. Ooh. That's their fundraiser for Coney Island, USA. I'm this only time I can say this without fear of retribution, all the freaks will be there. <laughs> exactly. There's going to be sideshow performers, stilt walkers, fire eaters, uh, and this is all happening at the New York Aquarium, which oh, is just nice. down the road from Coney Island, yeah. USA. So you can uh, have a cocktail and, uh, and wave at all of the sharks. And penguins. Of course. Though they'll be dressed up in their tuxedos. That's right. That is right. That's that's so that's on Saturday down in Coney. That is Saturday night down in Coney Island. And what do the tickets for that cost? Again, uh, tickets are a hundred dollars. It's a fundraiser for the founders of the Mermaid Parade, sideshows by the seashore. All and of those great cultural institutions that make Coney what it is. Exactly. Um, and that parade right around the corner. So you know, support your fellow mermaids. Support Coney Island. It's what makes Brooklyn great. It's a lot of stuff happening this week, and some nice diversity. Oh yeah, I mean, events. I could keep going. But he could keep true. going, but folks, he had a big weekend. Week. Yeah, yeah, and the, I think that brings on my Johnny's Nets check, right? Yeah, I think you you go Nets. I can check on the Let's Nets. Go Nets. Let's hope they're not just playing tonight. No, they are actually uh, in our way with time. They are playing tonight on Tuesday, but they're on the road this whole week, uh, so no games to see at home. Got it. But you can Barclays watch them on TV. If you stay up you know, late enough, all their games are on the West Coast. So 10 p.m., 10.30 starts. They've lost three in a row. Not a Brooklyn Nets uh, way as we like to see it. We're, we're a winning team, winning organization. Yeah, all I do is win. And so we're hoping that they'll turn it around. Uh, but next week we'll get them uh, at some home games, and we'll, we'll discuss it next week. We have faith in our, in our ballers, our Barclays ballers. Um, another one other event that I know <clears throat> is coming up, I believe, this weekend. If you missed the Brooklyn St. Patrick's Day Parade through Park Slope on Sunday, they'll be doing the Bay Ridge one. Yep, doing it again this coming Sunday. On the 24th. Also at 1 p.m. At 1 o'clock, and that is a free event. Oh, yeah. So, so you can go out, see the bagpipers, the Irish dancers. Yeah, if you got any Gaelic left in you, there is that parade happening on Sunday. And... That about wraps it up, folks, on another action-packed show. Um, I want to thank our guests, Kate Slevin of the Regional Plan Association, one of 100 organizations that are part of Fix Our Transit, which is advocating for the passage of congestion pricing. I want to thank Jake Dobkin, co-founder of Gothamist and author of Ask a Native New Yorker, who came on for a really fun show. Love having a guest yeah, host. absolutely. Um, and, of course, Bill Roundy, for telling us where to go and what to do, and Natalie for helping us pick Jane's Jake's brain. Right. We'll be back next week. You gotta thank the sponsors. Last but not least, Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. Get your heart checked out today. BrookdaleHospital.org. I'm Johnny Cunin. I'm Tony Rotano. Peace out, Brooklyn. Thanks a lot. <laughs>